Let's go ahead and take out your Bibles. We are going to be in Jonah chapter 2 this morning. I know it's a typical uh, Palm Sunday message, going to the book of Jonah. But we are in our series, Majoring in the Minors. And I think um, when I think about the Lord Jesus presenting himself as he made his way down on the donkey, that was his first advent. What he was doing was he was proclaiming himself to be the promised savior. Meaning that repentance and salvation is possible. And as we turn to Jonah chapter two, we realize the same thing as we're going to see. And before we go any further, let's ask the Lord to go ahead and bless us in our time of study now this morning. Heavenly Father, we come before you. And Lord, we do. We proclaim you to be the Lord of Lord, the King of Kings, our great God, our blessed Savior. We come before you, Lord, and as we turn to your word, I pray that you would speak to us, Father. Speak to us who have wandering hearts, Speak to us, Lord, who, who may be thinking that we've gone too far, that we're beyond your help. Father, even those of us who have served you for a long time, maybe we've turned our backs on your calling, maybe we've turned our backs on you, Father, and we feel like you're done with us. Lord, speak to us this morning. May we see that you are a God of second chances, that you are a God who gives opportunity for us to repent and choose to turn back, that you are a God ready and waiting to forgive. Speak to us now through your prophet Jonah and help us to hear his word, your word, in Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever felt like that? That you've messed up so bad it cannot be fixed, that it's just a hopeless situation? You're like, I've totally made a mess of it. There is no saving this situation. There's no saving this. Maybe you find yourself this morning and you're in a situation today and maybe you realize it's out of your own disobedience. You're like, I'm getting my just desserts. And God is is disciplining you and, you, and you and you recognize that, but maybe you still feel like there's no way out, there's no hope, there's no light at the end of the tunnel, that you're just like, well, this is where I'm at and this is where I'm going to stay. By our own rebellion, we put ourselves in a situation, we have no one to blame but ourselves, and we're probably in that depth going, I deserve this. This is all I have to look forward to. And we continue on that downward spiral of despair, which eventually will leave us hopeless. I believe this morning, as we remember Palm Sunday, as we remember the glorious hope of the king making his glorious entry, this message, you don't have to stay there. You don't have to remain in that place. You see, Jonah was in that exact place as a prophet of God, called by God. But Jonah in rebellion fled God and he finds himself in the belly of a fish in the depths of the sea and in the depths of despair. 
And Jonah, however, as we will see, is delivered from the belly of the fish. He even finds himself back on dry land. As we read this morning, I want us to carefully pay attention because we can see how Jonah goes from running from God in disobedience and in repentance, we see him running back to God. Starting in verse one, it says, Jonah prayed to the Lord God from the belly of the fish. I called to the Lord in my distress, and he answered me. I cried out for help from deep inside Sheol. You heard my voice. When you threw me into the depths, into the heart of the seas, and the current overcame me, all your breakers and your billows swept over me. And I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look once more towards your holy temple." The water engulfed me up to the neck. The watery depths overcame me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. I sank to the foundations of the mountains. The earth's gates shut behind me forever. Then you raised my life from the pit, Lord my God. And my life was fading away. I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you, to your holy temple. Those who cherish worthless idols abandon their faithful love. But as for me, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will fulfill what I have vowed. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Then the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. As we go through this now, we take an in-depth look at it, there, there are three distinct steps that we see Jonah take where he goes from running from God to repenting and running to God. And the first one that we want to take note of is that we need to acknowledge our predicament. We need to take note of where we find ourselves. And that's what we see in the first couple of verses. Jonah prayed to the Lord God from the belly of the fish. From the belly of the fish, he says, I called to the Lord in my distress. And he answered me. I cried out for help from deep inside Sheol. You heard my voice. When you threw me into the depths, into the heart of the seas, and the current overcame me, all your breakers, all your billows swept over me. Jonah's disobedience brought calamity into his life. His disobedience put him in this impossible position of being in the belly of a fish. There was never anything recorded in scripture of anybody being in the belly of a fish before until Jonah. Jonah's choices brought him to that impossible situation. He's like, I'm in a situation nobody's ever been in before. And he describes it as his distress. It's a state of turmoil and danger. It's the need and the cause for anxiety. And he states that he's crying out. And he describes his predicament. He says, from deep inside Sheol. Sheol. 
You see, Jonah is likening his condition to being in deep trouble. Have we ever found ourselves there in deep trouble? Maybe we knew the wise thing to do, but we chose to cut corners, especially, you know, April 15th is around the corner. We may choose to cut corners as opposed to the wise thing and following the tax law. You can maybe get away with it, but if you don't, there's no deeper trouble than being in trouble with the IRS. They have authority to come in and seize property and things that other authorities don't necessarily get right off the bat. So we can find ourselves in deep predicament because we choose to ignore the wisdom. And that was where uh, Jonah is. He likens it to being in deep trouble. He even brings it to the point of being lifelessness. You see, Sheol can mean grave, afterlife. It always points to, I am dead, basically. But the poetic usage which I think is evident here that he's speaking in poetry. Um, the poetic definition of Sheol fits more so with depths. In today's language, we might say the pits. I'm in the pits. I don't know if people, do people still say that today? I know I do. And Jonah's situation was the pits. Now, if you look at verse three, Jonah's talking about the situation he finds himself in. And he attributes his current condition as coming directly from the Lord's hands. He says, you threw me into the depths, into the heart of the seas, and the current overcame me. And then he says, all your breakers and all your billows. And if you don't know what those words are, don't worry, I didn't either. I had to look them up. What Jonah is saying when in the sea, he recognized that it's from the Lord that he found himself in the sea. In the sea, the current, that's the breakers, and the billows, the waves, have overtaken me. The current of the sea and the waves that you put on the sea have overtaken me. The storm may have subsided, but Jonah's in the sea, and the sea was still the sea. They're breaking and they're rolling waves over Jonah and he declares them to be from the Lord sent by him. And Jonah, knowing the situation in the sea is from the Lord, what does he do? He calls out to the Lord in his distress. How many of us know that the predicament we're in is because we're in disobedience to God, but instead of going to God, we say, well, yeah, well, I'm mad at you too, God. And we fight it. To come to that place where we're running back to God, we have to acknowledge if our situation is from God, we need to go to God. We have this wrong idea in our head that when God is mad at us or disciplining us, that he's done with us. And that's not true. He's disciplining us because he wants us to come back to him. And so Jonah prayed to the Lord in this distress, even though it's from the Lord. And it, I want you to see that it's because of affliction Jonah calls out to the Lord, not because of affection. Sometimes we think, oh, I don't feel like calling out to the Lord. Well, it doesn't matter. You need to. Job 13, 15, Job says, even if he, the Lord, kills me, I will hope in him. I will still defend my ways before him. 
That's an odd thing to say, right? But that shows trust. There's only one person who has power over life and death. There's only one person that we have to answer to at the end of this life. That's the God. Job understood. He says, whatever happens in this, even if he kills me, my hope is in him. And I will still defend my ways before him. Psalm 130, the psalmist says, out of the depths, I call to you, Lord. Lord, listen to my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for help. Lamentations, the prophet Jeremiah in Lamentations said, they smothered my life in a pit. He too was in the pits. They threw stones on me, water flooded over my head, and I thought, I'm going to die. And you know what he was thinking? He's not going, it's your fault, Lord. Here I am, a prophet for you. They put me here, I'm going to die. That's it, I'm done with you. And he says, I called on your name, Lord, from the depths of the pit. You heard my plea. Do not ignore my cry for relief. Jonah had run from God, and now in his predicament, he's running back to God in prayer. That is number one. To run back to God, you start with prayer, because that's the way we communicate with God. Too many times we say, I'm going to go get myself perfect, then I'll talk to God. Maybe then he'll see me. But you can't go and change your diet and get rid of all the cholesterol in your system if you need a heart bypass surgery. You gotta get the surgery first. You can't clean yourself up before you go to God. You go to God and he'll clean you up. And I want you to notice something. When Jonah prays to God, he declares that God heard him. And God had heard his voice and God had answered him. In his distress of situation, Jonah calls out to the Lord, and the Lord, though Jonah was being disobedient, had answered his prayer. And the answer to his prayer was the fish swallowing him. He is in the middle of the sea, the waves are coming over him, he's sinking down, and he prays out to the Lord God. You know what the Lord God did? He sent a fish to swallow him. And you're like, how did that help? But Jonah realized that the conditions of the sea and the position of the sea was God's hand. God was chastening him, and God had put him in a position where he had no alternative but to look to the Lord. And many times in our life, that is exactly what he's going to do. He will put you flat on your back if it makes you look up at him. Hebrews 12, glorious chapter. Memorize it, underline it, make that a chapter that you just keep in your life because when life gets tough and when you sense that it is from God, know that it's God chastening you as a child. It says, endure suffering as discipline because God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, in parentheses, which all receive then you're illegitimate children and not sons. If God is not disciplining you in your life, you need to ask, am I really God's? Furthermore, we had human fathers disciplined us and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the father of spirits and live? 
For they disciplined us for a short time based on what seemed good to them, but he does it for our benefit so that we can share his holiness. And here, you can underline this and make it your life verse if you want. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness by those who've been trained by it. And here's the principle. God oftentimes disciplines us by bringing about circumstances and situations intended to bring things to a crisis point because we can no longer ignore or avoid them. And so it's in these times that we begin to see things for what they truly are. With them being revealed before us, tells us we must do something about it. When we're in rebellion against God, he's going to allow the school of hard knocks to get our attention. And it's for the sole purpose that we'll look back at him again. That's all he wants. Despite the brevity of this chapter here, I want you to know that this chapter, chapter two, encompasses three days and three nights of Jonah in the belly of the fish as we read in verse 17 of chapter one. Jonah is now in the belly of the fish and it should teach us something also. Calling out to God may not immediately change the situation. Just because we've been exposed and forced to deal with our rebellion doesn't mean an immediate change of circumstance because God desires us to repent from affection not just because of affliction. And God heard Jonah's cries for help and God answered them with the fish. And this also tells us, Jonah, in realizing his predicament, he prayed to the Lord God from the belly of the fish. And it's been said by William Law, he who has learned to pray has learned the greatest secret of a holy and happy life. So we acknowledge the predicament we're in. Okay, I'm being disciplined by the Lord God. The only other option after that is you have to confess to the Lord. It does no good if you say, I'm being disciplined by the Lord God, and you say, God, this is unfair. You're not right. You got this wrong. We need to confess to the Lord. God brings us to that point where we can't ignore it any longer. We have to confess, you're right, Lord. I've disobeyed. You're right, Lord. I'm in the wrong. Verse four, Jonah says, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. The water engulfed me up to the neck. The watery depths overcame me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. It says, I sank to the foundations of the mountains. The earth's gates shut behind me forever. Then you raised my life from the pit, Lord my God. As my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you, to your holy temple. We find Jonah doing what he should have done all along. Instead of fleeing from the call of God, he should have cried out to God, confessing that he fell short of the love of God for the Assyrians and specifically for the city of Nineveh. 
In calling out to God, Jonah recognizes that he's been banished from the side of the Lord. When we're in disobedience to God, we have no communion, no fellowship with God. When you sense that God is far, usually it's because there's something that's causing that separation between you. It may not be the separation of the penalty of sin any longer, but you can still break the communion with God. And so Jonah, realizing and acknowledging his true situation, says, I've been banished from your sight. But he doesn't say, well, fine, you banished me from your sight. I don't care. I'm just going to continue on. We need to get to that point where, does it hurt us to be banished from the sight of the Lord? Does it hurt us to have that separation? Do we notice it? Does it bother us? In his flight, Jonah realizes his sin, and as a prophet of God, he knows God will not tolerate sin in his presence and sin before his eyes. And so Jonah could have stopped there, like I said, as most do. Realized they've sinned before a holy God and said, that's it, I'm toast. Who's gonna for- Why would he forgive me? What I've done, he's not going to forgive me for what I've done. I think we've all said that at some point. Someone comes and shares, did you know that God wants to forgive you and he sent Christ to die? He doesn't know what I've done. No, he does know what you've done. He sent his son to die for you anyway. Give in to, the, give in to that feeling that the Lord is done and doesn't care and you give in to the lie and that he's a disobedient failure and that God is done with him and doesn't want to use him anymore and couldn't use him anymore. And he, he would be done. That would be the end of the story. But we need to know that in our sins and failures, we may feel like God is done and that God can't do anything with us. Maybe we've even con- convinced ourselves that that's it. God should move on and use somebody else. Because our sin separates us from God, that's why we feel that way. The unbeliever is separated from the presence of God, but the believer is separated from communion with God. In both cases, it's a broken relationship of fellowship with God, and the greatest pain of rebellion and sin against God, it's not the calamity that comes. It's the separation from God. But remember this from Jonah He's no slouch when it comes to knowing God's character. We need to know God's character too. We need to understand it. And the way that you know God's character is by knowing God's word. Jonah in verse four, he despaired. He says, I've been banished from your sight. And then again, my favorite conjunction in all of scripture, but I will look once again towards your holy temple. And to us, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But Jonah knew the promise of God in relation to his holy temple, the promise that comes from the dedication of the holy temple by the prayer that King Solomon made in 1 Kings chapter 8. In 1 Kings chapter 8, Solomon's dedicating the temple that he has built to the Lord. And this is what he says. He says, in the prayer, he says, every prayer or petition that any person or that all your people Israel may have They each know their own affliction as they spread out their hands toward this temple. May you hear from heaven your dwelling place and may you forgive, act, and give to everyone according to all their ways since you know each heart for you alone know every human heart. 
so that they may fear you all the days they live on the land you, you gave our ancestors. You see, Solomon prayed and asked, dedicate your temple in such a way, Lord, that those who turn to look to it in their affliction would call out and you would hear, forgive, and act. Jonah claimed that promise by faith. In faith, he looked towards God's temple and asked God to deliver him. And we have that same option if we would believe in faith that God is a God who forgives and God is a God who fulfills his word. Do we believe what the apostle John tells us? If we say we have fellowship with him, yet we walk in darkness, we're lying and not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You see, there's a promise in the blood of Christ that it would cleanse us from sin. The apostle John tells us, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God knows that we've sinned. He knows what sins we've done. We're not hiding anything from him. But what it does is when you come and you confess before God, what you're doing is you're humbling yourself and you're saying, I admit that I was wrong. It's the hardest thing for us to do as people, to say we were wrong. Jonah described the water as being up to his neck. He even says that the watery depths overcame me to the description that seaweed was wrapped around his head. This describes... To, to me, someone who's completely entangled, engulfed in their sinful circumstance, completely overcome. In fact, Jonah's saying that then he sank to the foundations of the mountain and the gates of the earth shut behind him. He said, I'm sinking, no hope of recovery. I can't save myself. I'm drowning. Soon I'll succumb to my situation. But he says, when I cried out to you, he says, you raised my life from the pit, Lord my God. There's a young man, he went to Buddha to ask how to find God. Buddha took him down to the river. The young man thought the teacher was going to perform a ritual cleansing. Instead, Buddha grabbed him by the head and shoved it in the water for a dangerously long time while the man thrashed in the water. Buddha let him up and said, what were you thinking about when I held your head underwater? Air, air, the man gasped. When you want God as much as you want air, you'll find him. Amen. When you're drowning and you feel like you can't breathe, may that be the reminder that you need God more than you need air. Jonah prays and he says, my life was fading but I remembered the Lord God and I prayed and my prayer came to your holy temple. He says, then you raised my life. And all of us this morning in Christ Jesus who are here can attest to the fact that when we called out to him, he raised our life from death, from the pit. And you know what the the awesomeness of the deliverance corresponds to the messiness and the hopelessness of the pit. Those who were saved from a depth that only they knew 
are overly abundantly appreciative and overwhelmed at the, at the awesomeness of how God has delivered them from an impossible situation. The psalmist in Psalm 103, my soul, bless the Lord and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. My soul, bless the Lord and do not forget all his benefits. He forgives all your iniquity. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit and he crowns you with faithful love and compassion. So our path of turning from running from God and running to God, we begin with acknowledging, wait a minute, I'm running from God. And then confessing, Lord, I've disobeyed. I'm, I, I, I need your help. I need you. I can't do this without you. And then we end with a renewed commitment. In verse 8, Jonah says, those who cherish worthless idols abandon their faithful love. But as for me, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will fulfill what I have vowed. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And then the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Jonah states, those who cherish worthless idols abandon their faithful love. And I can get a sense out of how that verse is worded, but I think the New King James Version kind of brings it out especially in how it capitalizes one of the words. It says, those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. See, Jonah here is realizing that running from God and resisting against God, he's comparing it to idolatry. It's the same thing. When you run from God, you're committing idolatry. You're saying, I know better than the Lord. I, therefore, take the place of the Lord idolizing yourself over God. We see this all the time with the secularist, with the humanist. We see it with someone who's extreme even in their patriotism as Jonah was. And they become disloyal to God. And we have to understand this. Idols will cost you your relationship with God. They don't come free of charge. Those who cherish and hold on to idols abandon the Lord. And I love how Jonah describes them too. Worthless. Can anything be any more worthless? It's carved with our own hands. We created it, yet we want to worship it. We give it eyes and we think it can see. We give it ears and think it can hear, but it can do nothing. And I've said this before, when I was, when I was going through the uh, book of Joshua, there was a time in which they stole the people's gods. And if you can have your gods stolen, you've chosen wrong. Because you need to understand that the Lord is faithful love. He's the one who can, and he's the one who will save and deliver. Jonah makes a line in the sand for himself by stating, by stating that um, as for me, he's saying, who cares about everybody else? As for me, line in the sand, I will do this. 
John, Jonathan Edwards, even if no one else will, I will. He's declaring, I don't care what anybody else chooses, but as for me, the idolater may abandon their faithful love, but as for me, I will sacrifice to you, Lord. I will choose to sacrifice to you. And all that that word encompasses, I choose to sacrifice to you, means I'm, I choose to worship you. I choose to acknowledge you as Lord, as Yahweh, the covenant God. Understand that that is a willful and free choice that results in worship of thanksgiving. Jonah declares, not only will I serve you and sacrifice to you, but I will do it with a voice of thanksgiving. He's not saying, I'll worship you, fine, whatever. I'll worship you. You ain't gonna like it, but I'll do it. That obstinate voice that says, fine. But it was with a voice of thanksgiving. And here's, true repentance comes with a voice of thanksgiving, not with a disgruntled spirit. Sometimes we think that we've repented, but yet we're still disgruntled towards God. We haven't fully come through that repentance period yet. We need to have a voice of thanksgiving. Like, I can't believe how bad I messed up, Lord, and you came and you still accepted me back. And oh my gosh, you are an amazing God and I know you even more so than I ever did before. And so Jonah then declares his rededication. Backsliding is in the scripture. We see it in examples here and there. It never continues on for forever, but there is periods of backsliding in different believers' lives. And Jonah right here comes and he rededicates himself to the vow to the Lord. You see, as a prophet of God, they had a vow that I will proclaim whatever you tell me to whoever you tell me, whenever you tell me. But God called Jonah and said, I need you to go to Nineveh and speak. And Jonah said, no. And he took off. And so now here he is. He comes back full circle. He says, God, I will commit and I will fulfill what I have vowed. Jonah submits and says, salvation is of the Lord. If he wants to proclaim a message of salvation to this person, then I'll do it. If he wants to proclaim a message of salvation to this person, then I'll do it. Because salvation is not mine. One of my favorite Christian songs has a line that says that Christ paid much too high a price for us to pick and choose who should come. We need to share that message of salvation. Jonah realizes now salvation is not his to give, it's the Lord's to give. He's not sharing either. He's also not sharing just this mere fact and head knowledge that he has. This statement now has a heart connected to it. And it has to be read with that triumphant tone. God has saved and God will save because salvation is his to give. And now Jonah understands this both personally with a close-up view. We all understand who are in Christ Jesus, a close-up view that salvation is personal. But do we have yet that big picture view? That salvation is not a race. Salvation is not a nation. Salvation is not a language, but salvation is of Christ who gave himself for all. And as soon as Jonah finished declaring this to God, God, I will fulfill my vow to you. I've turned back to you. I will do what you call me. And notice what God did. 
he commanded the fish to vomit Jonah out onto dry land. He could have had the fish spit him up in water, and he said, now, now swim. And God would give him the strength and the power to swim. But God sometimes has mercy, and he spit him up on dry land. And I want you to understand and to see this, God commanded the fish to vomit Jonah out. It wasn't this nice little where the tongue pushed him out just a little bit. It was a full upheaval. And that just tells us we don't get to choose how we are delivered. But know that the Lord has purpose in the method of our deliverance. What we're going to see is that because he spent that time in the belly of the whale, it's believed that he was bleached white, took on the, the look of an ill person. And what you're going to find out is Nineveh had just gone through some, some uh, pandemics. And the appearance of Jonah would have been frightening to them and it kind of caused them to understand what was going on. And so we see that God has a specific method of delivery that he's used for all of us. And that method of delivery is also part of our testimony in which he has given us the power and the glory to be able to share what he's done in our life. To give us that witness among those who knew us before. And this prayer from Jonah it shows us how to pray in the midst of our rebellion and in the midst of our failure. It shows us that we can pray even when the distress is of our own making, from our own disobedience. And I, and I, I get that. That's the most difficult time to pray, isn't it? Because of our own self-condemnation, which tells us, oh, now you're going to go to God? You think you have any right to go to God? You think he wants to hear you? You think he's going to listen to you? Yes. If that errant rascal prophet can pray from his affliction brought on by his own choices, so can we. And we must. God meets us even in our own self-imposed trouble. This prayer from Jonah also teaches us to thank the Lord and see it as deliverance for him to confront our disobedience. It's a great source of hope to know that God will not let us continue forever in disobedience. It would be terrible news indeed to think that God could not care enough to catch us when we run from him and discipline him as children. Where would that promise that Christ said that he holds us in his hand and none are strong enough to snatch us out if in our disobedience we could run from God? I also want you to notice this prayer of Jonah has not one word of petition. It mainly consists of thanksgiving, contrition, and rededication. And you may have noticed, as I did at the end of verse 9, it's clear that Jonah has indeed repented. But you might be looking, when did Jonah actually repent? There's indications throughout Jonah's repentance. In Jonah chapter 1, verse 9, when they said, what have you done? And he came and he told them all, and he told them what he's done. There's a sense of, re of repentance there, where he came clean to the sailors. In our repentance, we may have to come clean to those whom we've wronged. 
Jonah 1.12, he allowed himself to be cast in the sea. He said, you need to throw me into the sea. I need to be punished. I can't continue in what I'm doing. It needs to change. Then in verses two, four, and seven, Jonah says, I called out to you. I called out to you. I called out to you. And then in verse nine, we see him renewing his commitment to his vow. So when did Jonah repent? All of them. And we have to begin to see repentance as more than a one-time event. It sure begins with that first time where you repent and the blood of Christ covers you. Yes, repentance begins there, but it has to continue and it has to mature because repentance is both an event and it's an ongoing process throughout our whole life. We are living lives of repentance. Repentance is completed when and only when Not only are we truly sorry for sinning against God, but when we turn back to God, trusting in God again, and we're going to have to do that over and over again. And we need to understand from all this, as Jonah did, salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord, and it's through Jesus Christ. Jesus was killed, buried, resurrected on the third day, Having suffered death and defeating death, he's been given the victory over death to give life to all who would repent of their sin and trust in Jesus for the forgiveness and trust in him for new life, everlasting life. There's a reason, and we'll cover this next week, that Jesus gave the sign of Jonah as the only sign that they would have that he's their Messiah. If you are here this morning, as the worship team comes up, we're going to sing one last song. And I would invite you, if you've never given your life to Christ, if you've never repented, if, if you find yourself and you know that you're far from God because you're separated by sin between you and God, that he has sent Jesus to die on the cross. That's what this season's about. We remember and we, and we recognize that he came and he died the death of the cross to pay the price for the sin that we've committed He died the death that we should have died to pay the price that we can never pay so that we can have the forgiveness that God promises. If you call out to Christ for salvation and ask him to forgive you of your sins, ask him to come in and save you and make make him Lord of your life, the Bible says that all who call upon the name of Jesus shall be saved not might be saved, not could be saved, but shall be saved because there is power in the name of Jesus. And if that's you this morning, pray that prayer. I'll be available up front to pray with anyone who, who finds themselves in need of repentance, need of rededication. Anyone who needs prayer, I'll be available up here. But don't leave here if God is telling you and, and, and showing you that you need to repent, that you need to come back. Father, we come before you, and Lord, I just pray that your spirit would go forth, that you would begin speaking to everyone's hearts, Lord. Tell us where we're at. Help us to acknowledge our predicament so that we can confess our sins and that we can rededicate our lives back to you, Father God, that we can give our lives to you, that you would use them as you see fit, and that we would go forth as proclamations that your salvation belongs to you, and you determine who gets it. 
and we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.